This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. So turn with me to the Gospel according to John, chapter 2. The Gospel according to John, chapter 2. And I should have told you this beforehand. You know, we're going to hit a couple of Old Testament scriptures in the midst of this. Uh, so if you can, find Second Kings and also find uh, the book of Joel. Don't you like when I do stuff like that to you? And like I say, hey, the uh, table of contents, it's a very good section of the Bible. Use it to your advantage. It's there for a purpose. Now in John chapter 2, we are going to find what John lets us know is the beginning of miracles for our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand, when we get into this, he's going to turn water into wine. Now, as I mentioned, you know, some people go to the scripture when they want to talk about the consumption of alcohol. And I want you to know that if you want to be legal and justify your drinking, you don't, you can't use the scripture. Why can't you use the scripture? Because it's not about alcohol. It's not whether or not about whether or not you can drink alcohol. That's not what it's about at all. Now, now, now if, if you want to start arguing about it and say, well, why can't I? Well, we can start to be legal about it. Because as we go through this, you know, my first question to you is, well, did you see Jesus drink it? I mean, if we want to be legal about it. If we want to be legal about it, we can go there and say, well, uh, in the time that he turned it, did it have enough time to ferment? I mean, we could be legal about it like that if we want to. Uh, and at the same token, you know what, I, what I'll say to this as well? Well, could he turn it into a fermented wine? That would be a miracle in itself. But you know, the Bible doesn't deal with that at all. You know why not? Because it doesn't matter. That's not what this is about. That's not what this is about at all. There are other scriptures that address whether or not you should drink alcohol. This is not one of them. And I like how some people do, well, it's there, so it must be all right. Well, and I want to say, don't you know that the Bible deals with slaves and their masters? Does that mean God is down with slavery? You know, so we can believe, you can do what you want to do. And there are other scriptures that I'm not going to go to. We could teach the truth about to free you in that area or to get you where you need to be. But that's not what this is about. The subject is going to be about this miracle that Jesus performs here in John chapter 2. What we don't want to do is we don't want to major on the minors and minor on the majors. Or as Jesus so eloquently put it, we don't want you straining at a gnat and trying to swallow a camel. So, so let's find out. So, so instead of arguing about whether or not, let's just show you what this scripture is about. So John chapter 2, starting at verse number 1. And the third day... There was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Now let me stop right here. Okay. This is a marriage feast. After the marriage has been consummated, there is a marriage feast. 
It's about celebration. And a big part of their celebration is wine. Okay? <laughs> so, the wine is about enjoyment. That's all it's about. It's about enjoyment. So keep that in your mind. The wine is about enjoyment. And, and so, here's a marriage feast. It's about enjoyment. Wine is a highlight. And obviously, it is important to marry. Okay? Obviously, it's important to marry. I mean, she says right here, when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. <laughs> I do not assume that she was angry she didn't get any. I don't think that was her concern. I missed out on some wine, or I need to get some more wine. I don't think that was her concern. But I do think, rather, it was about how it would dampen the feast. How it would hinder the feast and, and the impact it would have on that family. And you, you, know, you know how it is at your weddings. You want everything to be right. You want to make sure you have enough for everybody. You don't want to run out of anything. And so it's not Mary's wedding, but it's somebody that she cares for. It's their wedding. She, she cares about what the outcome is going to be now that they've run out of wine. It's going to spoil the, the wedding feast. Okay? <laughs> so, she has a concern here. Now, it's not stated explicitly, but there was obviously something in particular that she was expecting or wanting Jesus to do. Why do I say that? Verse number four. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet come. So, so, so she goes to Jesus in this time, which is interesting. They run out of wine. It's not his wedding. <laughs> she goes to him and says they have no wine. And Jesus said, it's not my hour. So he's saying to her, I know what you want from me, but I can't give it to you. And I like this reference to my hour has not yet come because we need to know this about Jesus. It's not just what he did, it's when he did it. Because when he speaks about the hour to come, as we've learned, God has dispensations. There is a time to be born, and there is a time to die. And so Jesus is well aware of timing when he's here. And, and let that be a lesson to you. You might know what is right to do. You might know what is right to say, but it's not always the right time to say it. It's not always the right time to do it. And, and let me make sure you understand this. You know, as a father, let me, let me tell you this to your children, to you that are children. We have parents, as we all do. You know, when your parent tells you to do something, uh, time is important. So the more you drag your feet, you know, I think about this when we talk to the men of integrity about when is the right time. You brothers who are part of that, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. When is the right time? Well, when you're busy dragging your feet all the time, you will never know the right time. Just keep that in, in your mind. So it's important. Time is critical. Now, when he makes this reference, he's talking about his mission. He stays on point. All right? And let, make, make sure you understand this. Our, our Lord knows when. And our Lord knows how. He knows what to do. And he knows when to do it. And, and the other thing I want to make sure you understand is, when he says woman, this is not a derogatory term. Too many times you want to 
place our culture into the Bible. You know how we do. Woman! That's not how he said This is not a term of disrespect at all. I want you to at least consider. And you can go back on your own time and look at it. But remember when Jesus was on the cross? And he looked down, saw his mother. And saw the disciple who he loved. And he said, woman, behold thy son. It's not a term of disrespect. Go back to when they first came across the empty grave. And then the angels said, woman, why weepest thou? What are you looking for? It's not a term of disrespect. So I want to make sure you understand this. You know, uh, 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 Minister Eberhardt went this morning to, to Luke chapter 2, and when the parents were looking for Jesus, and, and it says after that, you know, he submitted himself to his parents. He wasn't a bad child, so, so don't use it. Again, we're not going to justify any illegal behavior out of this scripture. So Jesus didn't get an attitude with mama. He respectfully said, woman, what am I to do with the mine hour is not yet coming again. The hour represents and talks about the dispensations of God that are about his purpose. And Jesus is always on purpose. Never going to get off of that purpose. Now, again, verse 3. And when they wanted wine, when the wine was out, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Jesus said unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. That's a good mama. She knows enough to, hey, you may not do what I want you to do, but servants listen to him, follow his lead. And I do believe this. She was expecting something. Was she expecting a miracle? I highly doubt it. She may have been expecting, well, let's get their mind off of the wine that's missing and preach a word that occupies them. You know, mamas will do that every now and then. Amen. Maybe it's just personal. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just remember walking into into, I don't know what she called the family room or whatever. My mother was talking to somebody. Well, my son's a preacher. Why don't you preach something for us? You know. <laughs> They're out of wine. We're out of good conversation. <laughs> so she may have been expecting something, but I don't think she was expecting a miracle. Do something that gets her mind off of the lack of wine. And here's the thing she, she didn't do. She didn't ask him to go get some. Go get some wine. So that's why I don't think Mary had a concern about it. I didn't get any wine. Amen. Glory to your name, God. She's like, no, no, no. We're going to do something. You know, and, and that, that reveals a good heart. really does reveal a good heart. Not her wedding feast. Maybe somebody she loved, she cared about. And she's like, hey, I got a son. I got a preacher's son. Got disciples with him. We can do something about this. But I don't believe she was expecting what he's about to do. So now, I want you to know, we are about to enter, and I don't know how to transition. I just want to let you know, we're about to enter the realm of the prophet. That's all I can say. So, so here it is. The stage is set. The wine is out. Mary has a concern for the family. She says, I got a son who's a preacher. Preacher man. 
do something that I occupy them. And Jesus is like, I know what you want me to do. My hour has not yet come. But here's what I will do. I'll show you the prophet. After all, he is that prophet. If you read in John, when they approach John the Baptist, one of the questions they ask him is, who are you? Are you that prophet? <laughs> John's like, no, I'm not that prophet. But there was a promise. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18. No, I'm sorry. Turn to Acts chapter 3. Turn to Acts chapter 3. We don't need to turn to Deuteronomy. Acts chapter 3. This is when the day of Pentecost had fully come, when the Holy Spirit entered into this earth and into man. Peter preached the sermon, and he says, Acts chapter 3, I'm in Acts chapter 2, I'm sorry. Acts chapter 3, oh, this is, I'm sorry. Acts chapter 3, this is when he had, they had healed the lame man. So Acts chapter 3, verse 22. He says, For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. I like how Mary said it. Servants, whatever he says, do. But there's a promise of a prophet to come of their brethren. And Moses said, hey, him, follow. Follow his lead. Okay? So Jesus is that prophet. I'll make sure you understand this. He is the prophet. He is the priest. He is the king. So we're about to enter into the realm of the prophet. And I want to say that because there are times when Jesus does things. And he does them in the mode of a prophet. Where these miracles are messages. He, he does it. And there are times throughout. And this is one of those times. So we're going to introduce to the, the prophet here. And I want you to know this about an Old Testament prophet. Old Testament prophets often operated in miracles. Sometimes it was just the word God said, but there are other times they operated in miracles. Miracles, another word for that in John is signs. They operated in signs. And what they would do is they would use natural miracles to speak of a time to come according to the dispensations of God. That's the Old Testament prophet. That's how they would operate. And so when they would perform these miracles, you'd be like, oh man, that was a that was weird. What was that miracle about? Well, those miracles were messages I hadn't seen. Ear hasn't heard. Neither has it entered to the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. So, so what would happen is that these would be, what do you want to call it, strange signs and wonders. And these strange signs and wonders would minister the work and glory of God in a time to come. A time relative to the time that they, I mean, a time in the future relative to when the miracle was performed. 
So when the prophet is going to give us this, he's going to talk about something to come. He's going to show us something to come. Look at this in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse number 10. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse number 10. 10 and 11. Peter says, Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come. I like how that's added there. That should come unto you. So they spoke in a time past about the present. So when, the Old Testament prophet, so when the Old Testament prophets would operate, they were speaking about a time to come. Okay? Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So you see how this works. So they prophesied. It had not yet happened. It was going to happen in time to come. So when you see the Old Testament prophets in operation, and when we meet the prophet, he's going to be talking about a time to come. That all lines up with the dispensations of God to reveal the grace that has come to you. Now, turn back to John chapter 2. So we're going to make this turn. We're going to start to meet the prophet here, right? Again, let's go back to verse 3. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. What's the wine about? Wine is about enjoyment. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece, a lot. Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Okay? Now, these water pots of stone are very important. But, I think one way, the best way for me to show you is to go to another Old Testament prophet. And this Old Testament prophet is going to teach us about these vessels. So keep your ribbon in John chapter 2. Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. Elisha. Elisha is going to teach us and give us insight so we can better understand these water pots. 2 Kings chapter 4. This is an often mistaught passage of Scripture. <laughs> How we try to get legal with alcohol out of water to wine. People try to get legal. <laughs> I say legal. I don't know how you get legal with this. And have God get them out of debt. Through this passage of Scripture. I mean creditors and collectors. They call you to collect on what you owe. And what you should pay. Hallelujah. 
Glory to your name. That's not what this passage of Scripture is about. But let's read. 2 Kings chapter 4, starting at verse number 1. We're going to read the first seven verses. Now, there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha. That's a mouthful. The sons of the prophets, we won't get into them. <laughs> but they were followers of the prophets, okay? And there's this wife of this certain member of the sons of the prophets. So now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. So you understand what's going on here? All he left was alone. <laughs> Not A-L-O-N-E, A-L-O-A-N. That was still due. And so the creditor's like, hey, somebody's going to pay. So she goes to Elisha with this, her conundrum. In verse 2 it says, And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thy handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go. Borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors. Even empty vessels, borrow not a few. I, I like this. It says, borrow not a few. Anything, everything you can get your hands on, grab it. Okay, so all you have is a pot of oil. But uh, let me give you some godly counsel. Again, now we're talking about we've just entered into the realm of the prophet. And what does a prophet do? The prophet works in strange signs and miracles to speak about a time to come, the wonderful works and the glory of God. And what's going to happen here is that God is going to do something for this widow. But while he does it for her, he's going to show her and use her to show things to come. That's, that's wonderful. And, and I don't, it, it always gets me. I, I, I've seen this for a long time. But God has something about widows. It's something about widows. It's like, I'm not, I'm not going to just turn you down. I'm going to do something for you. And when God does something for him, he continues to show, ah, there's glory coming. But that's just me. Let, let, let's keep going forward, right? So God is going to speak of a time to come while he helps this widow. Again, verse 3, then he said, go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. And that, now you're hearing this, and you've got to be in this woman's place, and you're like, what? <laughs> what? You want me to borrow vessels? i got a little oil, you want me to pour it out. Strange. But you know what? Let us learn a lesson. Trust God. He knows what he's doing, even when you don't. But he is faithful. Verse 4 again. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. Don't you like verse 5? 
It's called obedience. So obedience to the word of God. And I love this because, you know, I, I need to keep moving forward because it's going to take me a little time to get through this. But I love this because she didn't hear thunder and lightning. She went to the one that she trusted, heard from God. And said, I've got this issue. And he's like, well, well, well let, me t- let me give you godly counsel here. And she moved on to godly counsel. Let me let you know this. You've got issues. You've got problems. You pray to God. And God has given you somebody in the midst who you should trust. Here's from God. And they give you the message. They give you the answer. Don't sit there and say, what? Obey. And then see the glory of God. So she went from him, shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There's not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Oh, I love that. It was a miracle. I'm sorry, I've got to keep going back to this because I'm, I'm just reminded of this. The blessing is in the obedience, not in the contemplation. The miracles are performed when she obeyed. There would be no miracle without her obedience. And the miracle was, all I had was this little oil. The prophet said, go get all the vessels you can and watch what happens to that oil. She did it. It's like, man, I felt all these things. Verse 7. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. She just got helped. Through a strange way. Through a miracle. It's strange, but it was a miracle. But this is an Old Testament prophet she's dealing with. So the Old Testament prophet is going to speak of a time to come. And that time, according to Peter, is now. So he's going to tell her something through the sign, tell us something through the sign that pertains to us and the grace of God that has come to us. Here it is simply. She gathers empty vessels. She fills these vessels with oil. The oil that was so little was enough to fill the vessels and have more left over. The vessels... This represents all flesh. Not the ungodly desires, but all humanity. Male and female. Young and old. Rich and poor. Borrow not a few. Everything. You can get your hands on. So the vessels represent... All humanity, all mankind, male and female, all flesh. Turn to Second Timothy chapter two. Get out the mouth of two or three witnesses. <laughs> Let every word be established. Second Timothy chapter two. Starting at verse twenty. But in a great house. They're not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man, therefore, purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel. 
Did you catch that? He shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified in meat for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. We are described as vessels. So when she went to get all these vessels, again, God is sending us a message. It's strange, but now we have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so now what, what, what were at one time turned mysteries are made known through the Holy Spirit. I, I, I heard that last week. I heard that this morning. The Holy Spirit works in the messenger, and the Holy Spirit works in the messenger to bring light and understanding. So we're the vessels. Now the oil, turn to Leviticus chapter 8. Well, yeah, Leviticus chapter 8. Uh, I'm trying to see what scriptures I can keep out, but you know, some of you need to see. And as far as the, oil, as the oil goes, all I can tell you, and we'll look at it in the scriptures, the oil represents the Holy Spirit. Leviticus chapter 8, verse number 10. And Moses took the anointing oil. And anointed the tabernacle and all that was therein and sanctified them. And he sprinkled thereof upon the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all his vessels, both the laver and his foot, to sanctify them. And he poured of the anointing oil upon Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. So all this has to do with the tabernacle and the ordinances within the tabernacle. Part of separating the priest, the high priest especially, was this anointing oil. This anointing oil, this special anointing oil, represents the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is all going to make sense when you see the message. Okay. In Psalms 133, you can look there on, at your own time, but it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment. It's talking about this ointment. Upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garment. That precious ointment is an allusion to what we see in Leviticus 8 and 12. It is the holy anointing oil of God, which represents the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, with that in mind, the vessels represent all flesh. The oil that was poured out represents the Holy Spirit. Now the message is so simple. The book of Joel, chapter 2. The book of Joel, chapter 2. Uh, table of contents does work. <laughs> Joel, chapter 2. I'm talking to those old school people who still have paper. <laughs> Amen. I like old school. Joel chapter 2. You, you know, old school tells you you've actually used it. Amen. Glory to your name. You know, you can get by with some, some stuff, you know, getting over your mom and daddy. How are you doing spiritually? Oh, you know, I'm reading my Bible. You know, before you have to pull it out and show it. Amen. Anyway, look, I, I, I digress. Joel chapter 2. Verse 28. And it shall come to pass. Oh, what did I say about the Old Testament prophets? They speak of a time to come, which time has come to us. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit. 
I'll pour my oil. I'll pour my oil into as many vessels as they will allow me to. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids. In those days will I pour out my spirit. Simple message. That speaks of the time that has come. Glory to God. Now, why do we turn here? Now we understand about vessels. Vessels represent people. Now, look at this in Second Kings chapter four. You don't have to turn there, but but I'm, I'm going to read it like I wrote it down because you know sometimes this stuff gets in you. And While carnal and unlearned men who are led by their lust. And all things natural. While they concentrate on the financial aspect and preach covetous out of Second Kings chapter 4, the people who this word came to, they had a debt. Not creditors. They were in debt to the law because of sin. And the debt of sin at that time had yet to be paid. Oh, now I start to understand what Peter meant when the prophets inquired diligently of the time. When is this debt going to be paid for? There's going to be a time when the debt is going to be paid and the people of God are going to have the Spirit poured out upon them. It won't just be on the prophet. It won't just be Old Testament prophets. It's going to be all of us. Can't you hear John? Uh, you know, John has a statement. When he saw Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away, it wouldn't change it at all. They would understand if he said, takes away our debt. They, they would recognize, they would understand, oh, we've been in debt to sin. Same phrase. He taketh away the sin of the, that's the debt. Well, we sitting up here trying to get out of... You just use your credit card too much. How about that? You just made bad decisions. You didn't pay attention in school. How about that? That's not God's concern. His concern is the debt we had to sin. Back to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Are you with me? So just like Elisha was going to make a difference for this widow, and God was going to show his glory. So back, now back to John chapter 2, now God is going to do something for this wedding feast. And he's going to show his glory. So back to John chapter 2, verse number 6 again. And there were set there six water pots of stone earthen vessels, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece, Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. Not oil, but with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now 
I'm sorry, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, <laughs> the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. This is filled with so much. I, I wish I had more time to get into this. This is, this is just wonderful. Uh, and saith unto him, verse 10, saith unto him. Again, let me back up. Verse number 9. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. And he saith unto the bridegroom, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then they bring out that which is worse. He says, I know the game. <laughs> I, I've been governor at other feasts, I guess. I know the game. We know how it's played. Bring out the good stuff. And after everyone has a little bit, then you can bring out the bad stuff. They, they will, you know, they'll be fine. But thou has kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. And his disciples believed on him. Again, remember, wine here is a symbol of enjoyment. Symbol of joy. Symbol of delight. So now the question is, huh, where did this new wine come from? Now, we have these water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews. These stone vessels are according to the purification, okay? So this points us to two things. First of all, purification. Why is purification necessary? Because of sin. <laughs> sin had made the requirement of purification be put in place. But secondly... These weren't just any old pots. These were set apart. There's a difference. Elijah said, get all you can put your hands on. Jesus said, now there's some water pots set aside. Let's get those. And these vessels get filled with water. Now, I hope you understand this. We are the vessels. We are those water pots of stone. But where did this new wine come from? Check this out. The miracle happened between the drawing and the pouring. Did you get that? It was water. When they drew it out, it was water. Can you imagine? I, I don't know. I, I, you know, these servants are just, you know, they're, they're faithful servants. We can learn a lesson from them. They're, they're thinking, we're going to take water to this governor of the feast. <laughs> All we got is water in here. They don't have wine. What in the world is going on here? See, strange. <sighs> the governor tasted it. When he tastes this wine, and then he has to testify. Oh, do you get this? It's so good. It's so good he had to testify. Now, 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 now hold on. Where's the bridegroom? Where is the bridegroom? He declares to the bridegroom, this is the best of all that they've had. No, no, no. no. Do you understand it? It... 
it surpasses what we thought was the best. It surpasses what we thought was the good stuff. But you brought us this wine, this new wine, (laughs) that is so much better than any wine we've had at this feast. Here is the message. We are the vessels. The water is what is in us by Christ. Wow, I'm I'm sorry. Don't these scriptures go to your mind? All they who bear fruit... They're going to be pruned. They're going to be purged. And what did Jesus say? You are clean. You are cleansed. You are purged. Through the words I've spoken unto you. We are the vessels. The water is the water of the word that is in us by Christ. And those waters, I'm going to take my time with this. Those waters produce sweetness by the Holy Spirit in the life of those who receive it when we pour it out. We are the vessels. The water is the word of God that is in us by Christ. It's a living word. And those waters, those waters that are within us, here we are. We got water that is drawn out. And we're about to go with this water. This is water. And I'm going to pour it out. What is God having us to do? Yeah, but he knows the water he put in you. You may not recognize it. See, see, those servants knew. The governor didn't know. The servants knew. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just giving you the water I got. We're the vessels. I'm taking my time, aren't I? The water that is what is in us by Christ. And those waters produce sweetness by the Holy Spirit. It's not you. It's by the Holy Spirit. If that water turns to wine, and I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. (laughs) They'll have water in them. They'll pour it out. It's going to become wine. See, the sweetness is not by us. It is by the Holy Spirit. We are the vessels. (laughs) The water is what is in us by Christ, and those waters produce sweetness by the Holy Spirit. In the life of those who receive it. When we pour it out. If they had not poured it, it would not have been made wine. If they had not poured it, the governor would not have had something that surpassed what he thought was the best. Oh, taste and see. Oh, pour it out and let them taste and see. 
that the Lord is good. That which is produced in us by the Holy Spirit surpasses what they thought was good. We are the vessels filled by the word and that which issues from us is delightful to those who receive it. John chapter 7. It goes right along with this. John chapter 7. And you know, here's the thing about the Word of God to me. Even ministering it. You know, I've studied this out. I know this. But it's just so good. It is just so good. And you're like, why is it so good? I don't know. But it is good. It, 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 it's good. The first time I heard it, it's good now. By the Holy Spirit. Verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast. This, this is about the Feast of the Tabernacles, not, not a wedding feast. But in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst. Uh, uh, Jesus, we don't have any wine. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly, shall flow rivers of living water. But you know what? He's still walking there. He, he's still doing signs and wonders like an Old Testament prophet. So verse 39, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given. See, the Old Testament prophet speaks of a time to come. They speak of some time in the future relative when they, to when they give the signs. You see how this works together? One simple message. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, we are those who have believed on him. Not just any old vessel. We are purified water pots. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake, of this spake he of the Spirit. Which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. See, my time had not yet come. Turn to First Corinthians chapter six. First Corinthians chapter six. What can you say about our God? He's God. Oh, he's wonderful. He's marvelous. Even his word just is. Those vessels were nothing special. They were pots of stone. No doubt, when they went to the market, there's probably a markup on those prices. They probably had you know how we are. You got a t-shirt and you put a tag on it and they charge more for it. But it's just a t-shirt. 
It's just cotton. It's polyester. Come on. There's nothing special about those water pots. I don't care what they charge for them. They're just pots of stone. There's nothing special about them other than their sanctification. They were set apart. Set aside for purification. If they were not set apart, they would be like every other ordinary vessel. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9. Let me talk to you, church of living water. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And before you start smelling yourself, verse 11, and such were some of you. But you are washed. Nothing special about you. If it had not been for the Lord who was on your side, may Church of the Living Water now say, and such were some of you. But here's the difference. You're washed. You're sanctified. But you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Don't you hear other scriptures come to your mind? And you hath he quickened. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You walked according to the course of this world. But now. Wow. We are those vessels. We are those water pots. Just water pots of stone. That's all we are. And it doesn't seem like we have much in us. What, what, but what is in us, when we pour it out by the Holy Spirit, it becomes sweet to those who taste it and receive it. Can we talk about some people who taste it? Turn to John chapter, well, you know, John chapter 9. If I, if I could teach out of this every Sunday, I would. <laughs> I, I like John chapter 9. I, I really do. It is just, John chapter 9. We'll jump around a little bit, but, but verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents. Jesus is not saying this man is without sin. This man is not saying, uh, Jesus is not saying this man's parents is without sin. He's saying what has happened is, it's not your individual sin. Sin is in the earth. You know, you sit up here and you warned about COVID. It's God judging us. You know what? He could have judged a long time ago. Uh, who's without sin? What, period, what time period is without sin? No, but he has dispensations. And I, I'll have you to know, you know, what brought in COVID? Same thing that brought in the Spanish flu. Same thing that brought in the bubonic plague. You know what brought that in? Sin is in the earth. So while we talk about hurricanes here and there, see, they did wrong. What about your wrong? It's not an individual sin. God didn't ordain children to be born blind. 
neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him, I must work <laughs> the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he sped on the ground, made clay of the spittle. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Shalom, which is by interpretation sent. And I love it. Here, here's another sign of obedience. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seen. The blessing is in the obedience, not in the contemplation. What is this man? He spit. Put it on my eyes and said, Go wash. But you know what? I'm going to go wash. And I'm going to come again seeing. You know what it did? He tasted. Glory to God. He tasted. And then he was called to task. I love it. I love it. He was called to task by the religious rulers who didn't like Jesus. And so they tried to get on his case and say, come, come on, man. Give glory to God. This man's a sinner. And I like what he said. Verse, verse 25. Well, verse 24. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Now, now, now whether he be a sinner or not, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. But let me tell you what I do know. One thing I know, I was blind. Now I see. It's as simple as that. When I tasted of that wine, I thought that wine that came out before was good stuff. But after I taste the wine that's made wine that came out water, that comes by the Holy Spirit, then I could profess, I was blind, but now I see. You can say what you want to. Here's one of the things about this ministry. This is why I say the things I say about the, this ministry. I don't know about you. I don't know how you came in here, but I came in blind. And now I see. You talk about this ministry all you want to. Whether or not this ministry does this or does that, all I know is I was blind. And now I see. Enough said. <laughs> Enough said. It may not work for you. And I don't know what's wrong with you. But it worked in my life. Know who else tasted? The churches of Macedonia. I, I, I love that example as well. It says they were in a great trial of affliction. They were in deep poverty. But they had abundance of joy. And when they compared the abundance of their joy to their deep poverty, joy is going to win out every time. See, they were blind, but now they see. I love it. We can go on and on. The woman, oh, wow, this is Luke chapter 7. You know, I didn't want to go here, but Luke chapter 7, we've got to see this. Luke chapter 7. This is when Jesus was invited to the Pharisee's house. Verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner. See, that's just a water pot. She was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And stood at his feet behind him weeping. And began to wash his feet with tears. 
and had wiped them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she's a sinner. Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, <laughs> let me talk to you, brother. Brother Simon, I have somewhat to say unto you. Let's have a little conversation. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint. But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. She drank. She drank. She tasted. She saw that the Lord was good. Let me tell you about this. Didn't say anything about her financial situation. Oh, say amen. If you want, I'll say it for me. Amen, brother. Didn't say anything about her financial situation. Didn't say anything about her economic standing. Didn't say anything about whether or not she went on to be married or not. All she knew was that what she had before wasn't good enough. But when she came to the Master, her sins were forgiven, and that was all that really mattered. Here's, now, we see the message in John chapter 2. We see the message in the water to wine. And the thing that gets me is, where do we get off now wanting to add something to the wine that was poured out? As if what he gave us is not sufficient. What more are you looking for? Nothing else is going to fully satisfy. Second Corinthians chapter 11. I got to show you this scripture. Second Corinthians chapter 11. You might know it. But what I, when I see the American water to wine, what I find is I find the simplicity of the gospel. Just simple. The word of God. The gospel is ministered. People are delivered from the weight of sin. And those whom the Son makes free, they're free indeed. We don't need anything more. There are no extra, no additives. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. This is Paul speaking from his heart, and I can understand. <laughs> but I fear, lest by any means... 
as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Simplicity can be translated purity or sincerity. There's a pureness in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are those in our time. This verse in Jude, this is verse number three in Jude, stays with me. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation that was delivered unto you, and that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was delivered unto the saints. Why? Because certain men have entered in and turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. That's why I get upset when I think about Second Kings chapter 4 and them trying to preach covetousness. These are brute beasts. These are not spiritual men. These are natural men. All that they know, they know naturally. They do not know spiritually. And they teach others to look for more than just freedom from sin. And so when we get to water and wine, you want to talk about alcohol. What? What are you talking about? This is the wonderful, wonderful joy that we all get to enjoy because we have now tasted. See, we were all in the governor's seat. We were all in the governor's seat. Didn't know it was a miracle that had taken place, but it didn't matter. All we knew is that what we had now was better than all the rest we had before. And we had to testify. Had to tell somebody. <laughs> you know what? With a smile on our face, enjoying our heart, I'm saved. I'm right with God. All is well with me. I know God is not mad at me. I know He loves me and I love Him. And then somehow we take that grace and start to say, Now, God, give me houses. Give me cars. Give me a husband. Give me a wife. We forgot where we came from. There are those who are not satisfied with the purity of the gospel but feel the need to add something to the wine. I believe Paul put it so well. In Romans chapter 14, he tells us the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. But it is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, now in, in, in Romans chapter 14, if you read that, yeah, he's talking about meat and drink, but, but it goes beyond that. See, because meat and drink is just represent, representative of that which is external. The kingdom of God is not an external thing. But when you look at righteousness, peace, and joy, those things are internal. And they cannot be obtained or attained to by your best efforts or the efforts of any man outside of Christ. Listen to me. You can get external things. You can. But they will not satisfy. This is why the love of money is the root of all evil. And I, I want you to understand that, that scripture. When it talks about the root of uh, uh, all evil is the love of money. You can love other things. Just as much as you love money. It's not saying that, hey, all evil 
as a result of your love of money. It's saying that your love and your pursuit of money opens the door to all evil happening to you. So it can go beyond money. We got people who are, here we go, I say money, sex, and power. You know, the sex is, I just want to be married. Yeah, 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 yeah. Powers, I want a name. I want people to bow down before me. I want people to recognize me. We're in search of all of those things. And your pursuit of all those things opens up the door to all evil happening to you. And you will pierce yourself through with many sorrows behind that. And while you're up here searching for this, taking the grace of our God, turning into carnal things and carnal desires and lust, we got people who are hurting. See, we forget where we came from. We forget we needed a Savior. It wasn't more money we needed. It wasn't a better job we needed. It wasn't a husband we needed. It wasn't a spouse we needed. Some people got it and found out, you know, that just doesn't cut it. We needed a Savior. And we needed saving. See, that's the simplicity of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We sit up here and we receive grace and then we get so full of ourselves and consumed on ourselves, we forget we were once the hurting. We were once the abandoned. We were once the rejected. We were once the addicted. We were once those who were the fatherless and who had no hope. We were the widows and the widowers who cried out, God, what shall we do now? We were the depressed. We were those who were bound. We were stuck in sin and couldn't find our way out. We were there, but then we tasted. We ran across some water pot of stone filled with water. And when they poured out, it was sweet wine. I want people to understand this. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to take away the sin and to destroy the works of the devil. But I want you to see where God gives us even more insight into what it means to destroy the works of the devil. Turn to the book of Luke chapter 4. The book of Luke chapter 4. For those of you in the AMC class, hopefully you remember there's a word in Isaiah that was written in, I believe, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In an acceptable time, I heard thee. And, and then it lets us know that now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. In other words, God heard a cry for help. And he said, I'll help you. God heard a cry of despair. And God said, I'll come. Remember, the prophet spake of a time to come. And Peter let us know, this is that time. This is the time of your help. This is the time that God answers your cry. Not for money. Not for houses. Not for spouses, but the freedom you really need. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. 
the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Oh, you know, I'm sorry. These messages just... He said, this is the year of Jubilee, people. Go back to your messages. This is the year of Jubilee. This is the time for your perpetual Jubilee. I came that you might be free from the dead of sin and might have this continual perpetual Jubilee from here on out. Free from the brokenness. Free from the bondage. Wow. And we want to add stuff to the mixture. I want you to think about this. While we're out here trying to turn this grace into lasciviousness, what about the person who lost their spouse? What about the person who lost their spouse? Who are wondering, how do I go on when my loved one has passed? How do I make it another day? I can't imagine life now without... You know, there's a cry for help. God hears. I want you to think about the Father. One of the things about COVID that gets me, that hits at my heart, is that we had parents who passed. It means they had children. And now their children are going to grow up without their parents. And there's something that goes on in the mind of a child that goes with them into their adulthood that wonders, what if? People are hurting. There are those, I, I, I'm, I'm reminded of a time, this young gentleman was a member of this ministry. He'd grown up in somebody else's house. Never knew his biological father. So he was on a hunt for the father. And I understand. I mean, those things shouldn't be. And, and, and you wonder, you know, what would it be like to, to know my father? And not only that, so so you can only what's going on in people's hearts. These people are out there. This is where we were. Such were some of you. And then the Bible talks about these last and perilous times. It talks about in these last and perilous times, there will be some people without natural affection. And I see it. We've got daddies who walk out on their children. Mothers who give up their children. And then you have children, and in their mind, it follows them into adulthood. Why didn't mama love me? Why didn't daddy love me? We're sitting up here worried about money, sex, and power. We forgot where we came from. We forgot why he came. We forgot what was in us and what will be sweet to them if we pour it out. And let the Holy Spirit go to work. Listen. If I could, maybe, maybe you're a person out there right now. Maybe, maybe you're wondering, why didn't mama love me? Why didn't daddy love me? I want you to know right now, it's not your fault. It is a product of sin in the earth. Sin has polluted all that is in the earth. It has messed up the order of God. It's not you. And I want you to understand this. God didn't ordain it. 
These things happen against God's Just like Jesus said about the blind man, but I'm going to work the works of him that sent me. I want you to know that God is not in that. God didn't ordain deadbeat dads. God didn't ordain abandoning of children. God didn't ordain parents walking out on their children. He didn't ordain any of that. But I'll have you to know this, but he's made a way. He's made a way. Turn to this Psalm 27. I just want you to know the God that we're dealing with. Psalm 27. And we ought to feel convicted if these people haven't been in our heart and our mind. We ought to be convicted if we've been praying about ourselves and what we can get, what we should have. Psalm 27. Verse 10. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. That's the God we're dealing with. That's why he sent Christ. This is the work of the devil. This is the not, not the work of God. But God has an answer. I, I hear God cry out through Jesus Christ, Greater love hath no man than that a man lay down his life for his friends. If mom and dad didn't love you, he does. We've got those who are in a dry place. Those who are hurt. Those who are broken. Those who are wounded. They need the acceptable year of the Lord. Remember, the governor of the feast declares this is the best of all that they have had. Oh my, I've I got to say this. It's just because it's in my mind, i got to say this. So imagine, I'm just going back to the fatherless or those who didn't know their parents and want to know your parents, want, want to find them. Let me be honest with you. Let me be real with you. What happens if, and it would be great if you were able to establish a relationship, but what if you find them and they don't want to be found? Nothing's going to satisfy. Nothing's going to satisfy outside of what Christ has for you. And you can search all you want to, but... Don't put your hopes in those things. God is faithful. I hear the scripture. And he said, I will never leave you. He said, I'll never forsake you. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. I'm sorry, y'all, but we'll finish this very quickly. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor. And are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. One last scripture. One last scripture. Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. Since we started talking about water to wine, I believe the scripture goes very well. Verse 1 and 2. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, 
and he that hath no money. Come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Don't you recognize that nobody paid for that new wine at the wedding feast? It was no cost. Oh, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? This is what I want to tell you. In your search for your parent, you're going to find out it's not real bread. It may do you some good. It may help you out a little bit. But that won't be the real bread. If you're not right with God through Christ, you'll find that nothing's going to satisfy. You see, all these people who are pursuing houses and cars, they'll get them and they'll find out they come with bills. They come with strings attached. They'll, they'll find out that they get these things. You can get the external things and they will not satisfy, but they come with a burden. They come with a price. So why do you spend money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which satisfieth not. Hearken diligently unto me and eat ye that which is good. And let your soul delight itself in fatness. We're talking about water to wine. I'm not talking about justifying whether or not to drink alcohol. You see how silly that is? When you see what the message is? You see how far off base that is? When all he wants to do is he wants to enter into your feast. He wants you to, he wants you to receive the good stuff. And wants you to testify how good and how sweet it is. And I want you to know if you're hurting, this is the acceptable year of the Lord. Christ came because God hears your cry. God knows what's going on on the inside. And it hurts God to his heart, but he's provided a way. And that way is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net. Thank you.